0: I know that one of the things that can be troubling when you're looking in a true production environment is something like minified code or uh, you know, small yeah. uh, class names and things of that nature. Yeah. Oftentimes, a lot of dev tools get around this by hooking up source maps or other ways that somehow connect the outputs to the inputs. Does Replay need that kind of stuff? Can it, can yes. it handle these situations? How, yes. how does it deal with that?
1: We have the most ambitious source map implementation out there. You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org, or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob Osell. I'm an architect at this.labs. Today, I have a co-host, and that co-host is
2: Oh, that's me. I'm Adam. Hi, I'm Adam. I'm Adam L. Barrett. I'm a developer at This Not Labs and overall swell guy. That's right. And today we're very excited to sit down and talk with Jason Lasser
0: about replay. Jason is the CEO and co-founder at Replay. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. That's- excited to be here. Oh, well, wonderful. Well, we're so glad to have you here. Um today we are talking about replay. And uh, it's an extremely exciting tool, but I know that there's going to be some people here who have not yet heard about it in our audience. So, to, I guess to just get us started and set the stage, can you let us know a little bit about what it is we're going to be talking about, what Replay is?
1: Yeah, we'll be talking about browser dev tools. So, we're the crazy people who are like, you know, Chrome dev tools is pretty good, Firefox dev tools is pretty good. We worked on Firefox dev tools for a long time. We think we can do better. And that's replay dev tools.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I guess you kind of answered my second question, which was just which was why. But like, take us back to the to the to the founding of of the company. Like, what was that pitch meeting like? Like, who? How how did you guys decide that this was the the problem space that you wanted to tackle?
1: Oh God. So there's this thing called time travel dev tools or time travel debugging, which is as old as computers. Like the first people who built the first computers were like, I've got bugs. You run it, it doesn't work, you're like, now what? And yeah, they went in and added like printf, but they also tried to run it, record it, because sometimes things run a little bit different the next time, and then replay it. And if you can capture that bug once, and you can replay it as many times as you want, zoom in, and find that problem. So a bunch of us at Mozilla were working on Firefox Dev tools. And Mozilla, after 60 years, was the first to build the first time travel debugger for C++. So all the engineers working on SpiderMonkey, the JS engine, the graphics engine, the layout engine, we all knew that when there was a really hard bug, if you could capture with RR, you could debug it, and eventually you'd find it. And by the way, like, the feature of RR was you'd pause at a breakpoint, and you could step forward in the debugger, and you could step backwards in the debugger. So if you like, step, 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 went a little too far, you'd like, step back a bit, and then you're back to where you were, and you could step in or whatever. You could fast forward to the next breakpoint and rewind to the prior breakpoint. So all of us in Mozilla were like, wow, R is amazing. Can we put rr in firefox and just add those two buttons just add a step forward button and add a rewind button then we would be done and of course we were not done but that was the origin
0: that's fascinating so i'm familiar with the i mean people were raving about time travel debugging with things like redux and a lot of state management tools because the ways that those were architected were structured in a way that you could just kind of go back in the action stack and see past states and then re-render yes. from there. So you guys have yes. taken it far beyond just the realm of Redux, yes. although hilariously also integrated with Redux, which I'm sure maybe we'll yes. talk about. But like, how, yes. how even does this, uh, yes. does this begin to work out? Yes. So you
1: go back to the 60s. And people try to do back. time travel to bargain <laughs> way back. Way way back, I mean, like go back to the beginning of computers. Go try, like, oh, this is really hard. But then some people begin working on functional languages. Like, but if you have a functional language, you can design the runtime such that it can be replayed. That's pretty cool. And then you go to React, and you're like, hey, this reactive thing is pretty great. You can re-update the DOM uh, declaratively. This is good. And then you layer in Redux, which was designed by Dan Abramov for time travel debugging. He was like, hey, time travel debugging is amazing. I create a state management system that chronicles the history of the, the updates so you can go to any update and see what the application looked like at that point. And that was Redux. And we were there at Mozilla looking, at it's like, this is pretty cool. We've done this thing for C++. If we can bring it into the browser, we can take this idea that's gone mainstream with Redux and take it to the next level. So, uh, funny enough, today, Mark Erickson, who's the lead maintainer of Redux, is on replay. He works on replay dev tools. We're shipping Redux dev tools uh, GA soon. We just finished the beta. I'm really, really excited about the beta, which means when you open up replay dev tools, you have everything from dev tools. You also have Redux DevTools, and I'm sure we'll talk about React DevTools in a bit. The place where we've taken Redux DevTools further than Redux DevTools could ever go in Chrome is when you're viewing all the actions. Yeah, you can click on an action and see the state at that point in time, but you can also jump to that point in time too. And when you jump to that point in time, you're paused at the thunk, like the place where the dispatch was actually kicked off. And now you're not just like looking at the state over time you're actually debugging that thunk and that's where all the bugs are. Like if you're Ben Lesh and you're like digging into RxJS and that thunk is right there, that's the bug and that's where you can begin debugging with Replay.
2: So does Replay, is it dependent on using something like Redux then? No. So how does that work? I thought you might ask. So if you're
1: Redux, you've got to capture all the action payloads and the state at every point in time or you just capture the payloads and then you have the reducer so you're like going to reevaluate the state at each point in time it becomes really big really quickly and just having that is kind of small compared to every thunk and everything going on in every thunk and then everything going on in every react component and the rest of your application the funny thing about your typical react app is if you are recording it for let's say a minute you have an execution trace measured in big ends with like 32 zeros like that progress integer of like oh i've gone from line one to line two line two to line three is massive and with replay our promise is that you can go to any one of those lines if line 10 was executed a hundred times you can pause at any one of those times so like intuitively our recording should be really slow and the output should be really, really big. But the yes. funny thing about replay is the recording is smaller than a video, what? which makes <laughs> no sense. We show you the video because like, you want to see the video of like, oh, this is what happened in the app. But the recording is smaller than just the video that we output on the other side.
2: Is that because of like... Yep. Sorry, I was going to say, is that because it takes some sort of like event sourcing kind of thing where you're just measuring, like taking the events and serializing them yes. and then yes. you just replay those? Yes. That's very cool.
1: But if you're doing event sourcing at a job supplier, you've missed like 90% of the interesting stuff. Or maybe you captured yeah. like yeah. 70%, but the other 30% is really important. You've like recorded the heart, but you forgot to record all the other organs. So we are the browser. And the event stream that we're intercepting are the calls the browser makes to your computer. So mm. on a Mac, it's like uh, open file, read file, write file, allocate memory. That's a really important one. Malik, you've got to capture uh, socket information, graphics information for fonts. We capture that communication. And then when we're replaying, because we are a browser, we are spinning up a docker container in the cloud. We're downloading that browser that was used to make the recording. We're downloading the recording itself, and we're saying go. And it thinks it's running. Like, the browser thinks it's on your computer. If you recorded the replay last week, it thinks it's, like, last Monday, November 28th. And it thinks it's making all those API calls that it made before. But, of course, just like monkey patching a test, every call it makes to the computer, it's being intercepted and then fed from the recording. And the reason it could be so small is, let's say you wanted to record Fibonacci. And if Fibonacci is a program that takes an integer and just runs deterministically, there's nothing you need to record because the entire function is deterministic. So the recording is like nothing, nil. No. But if Fibonacci were instead of taking the input to read a file to get the input, like okay, read a file, get the input and then run, that is the only thing you have to capture. Everything else, is determined so it can be recomputed later.
0: So w- w- we, be, we weren't being figurative when we were saying that replay is the browser. It, with, are these recordings are actually replay being recorded? Replay is the browser. Time. Yeah.
1: Chrome does not know how to record and replay itself.
0: So we had to fork
1: Chrome and teach it how to record and replay itself, which means like we are going in and we are touching the hash map and hash table implementation. We are intercepting IPC calls. We are deep in the guts of the JIT today, like the GC.
0: Because I mean, that's what the non is. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that process, right? Because like, it, on some level, yeah, even just from the, from the browser itself, it's difficult, but a lot of the libraries that you're, that you're playing with, I, and I know you have really mm. strong and robust React uh, integration and, and similar, Yeah, these are tools that aren't necessarily built to be extended. Certainly, in the ways that you're doing it. So, I can see that there's this fun give and take between trying to find ways to get information you want, but at the same time, then contributing back maybe to improve those tools for future users. Uh, Can you kind of explain a little bit about how that works?
1: So, being able to record the inputs to Chrome so that Chrome can replay later deterministically is an insanely hard problem. The closer you get to it, the harder it seems. So you talk to the tech leads for V8 or WebGL or Chrome DevTools, they'll all dismiss this and say, good luck. This can't be done. So that part is really, really hard. But if you kind of like wave away that part and say, like, okay, you've done it somehow. You can record and replay Chrome. Then how hard is it to build, let's say, an element panel? The beautiful thing is in Replay, when you open up Replay DevTools, you can play the video, pause, and then we show you the elements at that point in time. You have the full DOM tree, you can inspect an element and view its uh, applied rules. That panel is really, really easy to build because you have a browser that's paused right there, so you can make the same calls to serialize the tree. That's easy. React DevTools, if you're paused at a given point in time, you can do the same eval to talk to the React DevTools backend that's hooked into the application and ask it for the component tree. It's props for a given component, state, and hook. The one hard, like breakpoints, if you can replay, you can play and pause at a, at a line of code and get the call stack and the variables. The one really, really hard thing is that replay part. But if you can do that, everything becomes easier.
2: It becomes possible, <clears throat> and it's wild. So, kind of like real time travel, going forward is pretty cool. But I can do that in Chrome, my right? Chrome Dev Tools or Safari, whatever. Sure. I can go. I can step through stuff. It's the going back sure. in time yeah. that's the hard part, yeah. right? Like just like yeah. real time travel. Um, uh, is that the killer feature? Is that the thing that, like, oh, this is what replay does? This is what I- is what makes it magic, and this is what is going to solve all your problems. And if so, why is it so compelling? What is it about being able to go backwards mm. and replay that makes this like, oh, this is something I need as a developer?
1: There are four things. But before I mention those four things, the one subtle detail I'll mention is it's not actually about going backwards. But on line 10, it's not really about going to line nine. It's about being able to replay because the rule of time travel is you never actually go backwards. You always just play forward again. Does that make sense?
2: No. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to picture that. Okay. So you go, going backwards, isn't the, it's like, yeah, you made it there, but you can't just stop there and look. You want to be able to then continue as if you were going forward normally. Is that what you're kind of saying?
1: What I'm trying to say is if you try to imagine how to unwind the mm. browser, your brain's going to start to hurt. That's mm. not an easy thing to do. There's so many operations that can change things. It's hard to imagine how to unwind it. But if I'm paused at line 10, and I want to go back to line 9, well, I'm just going to replay from the beginning until I'm mm. at line 9, and then, I'm, then I've effectively gone backwards. So the uh. real hard of time travel is not the undo,
0: for the rewind, it's the ability to replay. God, uh, subtle detail. Yeah, but unlike time travel movies, we can go, we can replay, but we we can alter. Like that's the other part that blows my mind in the demonstrations. Oh, I mean, that depends that going, on the
2: movie we're talking about. Some of them you can alter right. timelines, and but
0: okay. this idea that there I can say I. <laughs> yeah well i mean how many times as developers have we been trying to debug something and we get it to recreate um but then we're like i can't tell with the current logging or monitoring what happened and so now you're like great yeah so now you go and you start adding all these console logs to figure things out and then you try to recreate it again and it finally does you can not reproduce this idea yeah but this idea that i could go back and and sort of after the fact say i really wish i would have added this log and yeah. you can do that with replay, which is the wild thing. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah can, so what are the four yeah. compelling features? The first one is reproducibility. So if somebody on a team can capture the bug, or you can capture the bug, or you're recording your test in CI because why not use the replay browser? It doesn't really add that much overhead. If you can reproduce the bug once, you've got it. So reproducibility has gone away. This idea that like support files a bug or the PM files a bug, and then devs are like, it works for me. No more. You file the bug, you include a URL, a link to the replay. They click it. They can open it in any browser because we're replaying the cloud. They've got the replay. It's as if they had time traveled to your computer, like gone to you in, like in the past, and they're sitting next to you and they've opened Chrome DevTools. They've got it. So that's number one. Number two, and this is the one that's really important to me, is we get to build a better debugging experience. So it's not just like video meets Chrome DevTools. It's the Chrome DevTools you wish you had, or we wish we could build for you if we had a time machine behind it. So a great example of this is, yeah, it's not about adding a breakpoint on line 10, it's about adding a console log on line 10 retroactively and immediately seeing all those logs in the console that you would have seen if that console lock had always been there. Another really good example of that is in React DevTools, you select a component and we can show you a timeline of every time that component rendered. So it mounted, it rendered, 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 and then it was unmounted. And you select one of those and you're paused at that render, in that render function. And then in the debugger, you see the call stack and React has destroyed the call stack. It's like 50 frames of React internals and tells you nothing about why the component actually rendered. And if I'm pausing component A, I want to know that A was rendered by B and B by C and C by D and, and D might be like the application component. You want to see the component stack, not the call stack. Call stack is nothing. It's like React internals. And because React is an async scheduler then, and every fiber is like, connected to this like promise-based system. You can never build a component stack in Chrome DevTools. But because Replay has a time machine, we can show you that component stack. And when you click on B, C, and D, you travel back in time to when B was rendered or when C was rendered. It just works the way it should.
0: All right. Well, we're gonna dive right back into this conversation. But first, We have to give a thanks to today's sponsor, This.Labs. This.Labs is a development consultancy that specializes in application development and upgrading legacy systems. They've been trusted by companies like PlayStation, Capital One, Herman Miller, PayPal, and T-Mobile. Facing challenges with legacy systems and need to modernize, This.Labs has experience in enterprise migrations and upgrades providing a detailed roadmap for modernizing your software solutions. Their engineering leaders are industry veterans with a deep understanding of modern technologies and best practices. Learn more about how this.labs can help you achieve your tech goals at this.co, that's T-H-I-S-D-O-T.co. And of course, thank you to the team for letting me be able to have amazing conversations like this. All right, let's get back to the show. So Jason, we were just talking about this. I know it's funny because you know this idea of trading um, these recordings, I love this idea. Uh, I guess, sort of as a slightly humorous aside, how are you guys going to solve the problem, though, when people encounter a bug and then wish retroactively they had been recording it in replay instead of looking at it in some other browser or device? <laughs> Do you have your top people looking at this now? Can we, we replay are reality yet? Top people.
1: <laughs> I mean, the worst is when you are in reality, you're like, where are my keys? If this were software, like of course, I'd have captured a replay. We haven't done this yet. I mean, by the way, like, we come from Mozilla, so like The browser devs use right now when they're using replay is Firefox. The browser that teams use when they're reporting their uh, CI tests is Chrome. We will be releasing Chrome for Mac really, really soon. Like, mm. either end of this year or early, early next year in January. And when we release Chrome for Mac, we're going to be really close to having an always-on mode. so yeah, just use Replay Chrome as your browser. It works exactly the way normal, except there's this extra button on the top right. You click it, and you've captured the replay for like, let's say, the past minute, five minutes, ten minutes.
0: Oh my goodness, that is legitimately blowing my mind. Uh, you know, as somebody who watches a lot of Twitch. This idea that you, you, know, you don't even have to be yes. recording when somebody does something cool. The idea that you can go, oh, that was amazing. I need to save that moment. I mean, how many times, either when we're developing yeah. or just in the world, would a button like that be amazing? Yeah.
1: Xbox has it. Why can't Chrome
0: have it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, one of the questions I had, and I, I think maybe because of the team, I mean, you have such amazing people on your team. We've talked about Mark and uh, his work with Redux and uh, you know Brian and others on the team, I guess some people might be wondering like, can we use this outside of the React ecosystem? Like, does this work for other yes. front-end frameworks? Uh, like, what does it have any limitations? Kind of, no. Help people understand. Yes, that. it does. Uh,
1: so we record <laughs> at the browser level, so it doesn't matter if you're using React or Angular or Vue or Solid. If we can record it, we can replay it. Now, what can't we record? So we can't record WebGPU, and we can't record WebGL. We can record WASM. Uh, We can record, and actually, one of the funniest things is we record most of, or many of, the most ambitious applications on the web. Like If you're using a calendaring, or no-code tool, or just, I'll just say, a public company there's a good chance that we're recording and replaying it because those are the most ambitious applications and they're the ones with the most bugs. Also, if you're using an open source tool, uh, React or Redux or Solid, there's a good chance that somebody on that team TypeScript for Node, we actually have an alpha recorder for Node, so a Node binary that folks on the TypeScript team have used to record some of the hardest bugs inside the TypeScript compiler because those bugs would be not understandable by humans, unless they had a time machine to help them go forward and backwards in that one.
2: So is that a product that you're going to make available? Like this node time travel debugger?
1: I think react and the front end community is going full stack. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not even a bold uh, thing yes. at the end of this year. No,
0: right. Yeah. not at all. Yeah. Really putting yourself out on a limb. That's not that uh, bold.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. that used to be a hot take. I'm dating myself. <laughs> and the best thing is if we can work with Vercel, Dino, and NetBuffa, and AWS, there's a world in which when you're looking at a replay, it is full stack. And that means that the replay can show you the RFC, the React Server Component Waterfall as it's doing the server render, it can show you the hydration when it came in. It can then show you the API call that went back up to Lambda, and then you can start debugging that Lambda and all the API calls it made to the database and then back down. That, I think, is where you want to be. I see you nodding your head. It's where
2: I want to yes, be. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Can we, can we do that? There. Yeah. Can, can you help us with that? We're working on it okay oh my heart was a flutter big announcement <laughs> but no still exciting the node
1: recorder is good we first have to get chrome for mac and windows in a really good place and then we get to do the fun thing and in my mind the fun thing is full stack debugging
2: oh so yeah absolutely
0: i know that one of the things you know that can be Troubling when you're looking in a true production environment is something like minified code or uh, you know small uh, class names and things of that nature. Yeah. Oftentimes, a lot of dev tools get around this by hooking up source maps or other ways that somehow connect the outputs to the inputs. Does Replay need that kind of stuff? Can it? Can it handle these situations? How, How does it deal with that? So
1: we have the most ambitious source map implementation out there and we're working with the TC39 committee to standardize some of the things we're doing. But to give you a bit of a taste, somebody can record production. And as long as we have the source now, so they've been uploaded to Replay and Sentry, so we have them, you can go in, find an original file, add a console log, we'll map that expression for you. So it says, if you could figure out the minified code, and it's just going to work. And the way we do that is we use Babel to parse the original file and the generate file, create an AST for both, and then recompute the scope chain as if you had never bundled in the first place. But what that also means for reactive tools is when you're looking at that component tree, we can show you all the component names that you wish you had instead of all the minified names. And that's the kind of thing where React DevTools and Chrome can't do that. But because we have the source maps and because at replay time, we have more latitude around how we want to do the compute, we can get away with this. Whereas like for Chrome and React DevTools would be way too slow.
2: Fascinating. So let me ask you a, a weird question, I guess. So you mentioned that you can't record WebGL. But I just, why not? What is the, what is the th- blocker there about like how that's different and how that runs differently than the rest of like the browser events and whatnot?
1: Yeah. So we have about 50 lines of inline assembly that intercept the libc calls to the OS. And we're really focused on the libc calls that make CPU calls. But WebGL is optimized around the GPU. And there's so many GPUs out there. There's so many instructions, like the instruction set's massive. So like, yeah, in theory, we could do it, but I'll give you one more example. So Windows, Mac and Linux, different OS, different library calls. When we record, we record those library calls and when we replay, we replay them in a Docker container in EC2, in Linux. We virtualize the OS so that the browser thinks it's talking to your Windows laptop or your Mac laptop, but of course, it's just in an EC2 instance that's been virtualized. The GPU would just like combinatorially explode that.
2: That makes sense. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Tell us a little bit about what work is like, because what I'm picturing here is you just have a set of some of the hardest problems to solve yes. and a bunch yes. of people that are just yes. like, hold my beer, uh, yes. like, what is, what is it like, you know, saying, oh, I guess we can't do this and someone on the team is just like, no, hold no, trust ear. me, I got it. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> t- tell us about w- what it's been like developing this over the last couple of years.
1: I'll give you a Mark story. So when you open up Chrome Dev Tools and you go to the React tab, that slows your application down by like 10%. No one ever talks about it because like a 10% hit to perf is like, okay. But our recorder is about that and we didn't want to double it because in CI, if we slowed your test down by 20%, that'd be kind of annoying. Some tests that were passing reliably would start failing a little bit more. So we didn't want to run React DevTools while recording. The 10% hit was too much. So this was a Mark Hold My Beer story. He and the team were like, hey, I wonder if we could run React DevTools not while recording, but while replaying. What if we modify the code, so the React DevTools backend doesn't run while recording, but while replaying, and we can capture all the operations that way. So we did that. And now that we're running React DevTools while replaying, we can do these things like component name mappings Mm -hmm. that you could never do while recording because it'd be too slow, but at replay time, you can do that.
0: Wow. You know, Adam kind of said this at the beginning where it was like, you know, what is the secret sauce here? Like to some extent, I think, you know, to the extent to which you're spoiled at all, it's a little bit because developers don't often think of the, the dev tools and debugging as being the very enticing or interesting or difficult space. But honestly, the answers and the capabilities that you're able to provide, (laughs) I think people just need to realize that they're doable to some sense. I think so maybe people have given up hoping over some period of time. It's sort of an interesting outcome for this. Like, I I wonder if if when you're having conversations with people at conferences or something, if you're just sort of telling them and they just think you must be lying or something somewhere in the middle of of talking. I mean,
1: that's where the live demo is so important because almost every developer at some point has been like, I wish I had this. And then some of them have gone off and like tried to build it. I'm like, "Oh, I see why I can't have this." And when you look at the replay dev tools, like in some part, like the demo is not that exciting because it's like, oh, there's Chrome Dev Tools, and you forget the fact that you're looking at a recording and not a live app. So like the demo itself is like, "Oh yeah, I, I've seen a debugger before. I can see oh, I've added console logs before. I added something you know today or yesterday. But it's being able to do it in this context. That just changes everything
0: what um what on the roadmap do you has your team so excited for the future i I, i've you know i was just sort of perusing your twitter a little bit i can see you and i'm a parent i assume in your team has been experimenting a lot with ai pieces is is it the promise of ai is it the promise of of more (sighs) frameworks or more capabilities is it extensibility and maybe letting the community bring some of their more obscure tools to the platform like what what kind of things, problems have you guys excited for the future of, of replay?
1: So everything. But to dampen expectations for a second, the main thing we have done over the past three years has been to make it not terrible. The first six months, everyone assumed it would be possible. <laughs> yeah. uh, nine months in, we started getting some users, like Matouch, who would contribute a TypeScript and React, and all these popular libraries, xState, he, he then joined Stately. He would use Replay, even though Replay would crash every five minutes. We launched when Replay would crash like every 15 minutes, every 10 minutes. People would put up with it because like, oh, wow, this is awesome. But it was, you know, wait five minutes for it to start, expect it to fail, have to refresh, and, you know, yada, yada. The entire thing has been, can we build Replay dev tools in the backend in such a way that we can deliver it in real time, so you can just open it, and then everything is as fast and reliable as Chrome DevTools. So in many ways, like when we're tweeting, we're like, oh my God, React DevTools is as good as React DevTools in Chrome. Like that's what we did over the past couple of weeks, and that's awesome. But maybe as we're wrapping, I can give you a little bit of a taste of what I'm excited about in the future. Please. So obviously full stack, like we're gonna go full stack, record your CI test, full stack debugging. That's a given. The thing that people have dismissed with end-to-end browser tests, which I think is really sad, is they've assumed that the flaky test is just a reality and you can't create a test suite. So 100 tests without having a handful of flaky tests at any given time, and then having to maintain them and fix them. And obviously with replay, you can capture it. And then once you've captured it, you can understand what's going on really easily. But there's also a story where replay can help you understand what's wrong in an automated fashion and even fix it in an automated fashion. So we're already beginning to explore programmatic root cause analysis where we could look at hundred replays and say, yeah, 10 of them failed and these 10 failures have a network request body or response body that looks different Mm. than the, the passing. So that's that's easy, we can look at them retroactively, that's a given, that's cool. We can categorize the failures really precise in a way that you can't really do if you don't have the full stack. Like we can tell you that in the failures, there's a React component that isn't rendered, but it is rendered in the passing test and vice versa. So we can look at all of that after the fact. But the thing we can do, which gets back to like sci-fi and time travel, is we can also say, hey, it looks like, in the failing case, this network request takes a long time. When it passes, the network request runs in under a second, but when it fails, your are back in sad and it takes three, five, seven seconds. We think this network request is taking a long time and therefore causing something to happen on your front end that shouldn't happen. So what we're going to do is we're going to modify that stream, we're going to modify the recording so that request doesn't take five seconds, it takes one second. And we're going to replay that modified recording and confirm our theory. And if we're right and the test passes with that one modification, now we know for sure it's network latency that's causing the failure, so we go from correlation to causation. And then we can do a dynamic analysis to see which React components depended on that data or view or whatever. It doesn't really matter which frame, which function depended on that data implicitly. But because it was an implicit dependency, there could be that race condition in the first place, where like it ran thinking had the data, but it didn't find that function that depended on that data. And they we're like, what if we added an await? What if that promise was prefixed with an await? If we prefixed it with that await, and the request took a long time, could this test still pass? Like, is that a legit fix? Modify the recording a second time, and if the test passes with the request taking a long time and no other test fails, you know you have a fix. And for me, the moment that you can begin doing that kind of automated root cause analysis categorization and then testing your theories, like, oh, maybe speed up the request, maybe modify this function, now you're doing something and you're having to like, throw in like LLabs. I'm not saying like GPT-7 will do this. I'm just saying like sure, very simple sure, sure. programmatic analysis. You've done something really profound.
0: Yes, I mean it's not good for a podcast for for the host to be somewhat stunned with with possibility on on what that's capable of, but uh, you know I I think that is really fascinating. I mean I I love to the way that you describe it a potential future of being able to do to some extent. I mean it was quantitative, but even like qualitative things, like you know not concretely. If I change this line of code, this that the other thing, but just what if it was. 5% faster? What if, yeah. what if I skipped this or what if I did it in this order or whatever else? Like the, the ability yeah. to get that kind of hypothesis testing and to collect some extra data for those really tough, tricky, um, production issues is, uh, is, is really powerful. It's fascinating.
1: I know everyone says these kinds of things, but I really feel like we haven't scratched the surface.
0: Well, great. Uh, I think we've very rapidly used up our time here. Uh, You know, as we close up, do you mind letting people know where they could maybe play with this?
1: We would love that. So go to replay.io. You can download the browser. You can start playing with it immediately and then find us in Discord. And we'd love to talk to you. The, The front end, our browsers are all open source. We love working with contributors. We love working with early adopters and getting all of the user feedback. There's so much product feedback here. And then the best thing is if you maintain an open source project, a bunch of projects have started asking for a replay. So update the issue template, ask for replays from your community. And when you start getting them and you've got questions for us and you think, hey, replay would be better in this way or that way. We're here and we want to do it.
0: Well, wonderful. Well, that's going to be it for us today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this Modern Web Podcast. Thank you to my co-host, Adam, for being here today.
2: No, thank you, Rob. Thank you.
0: (laughs) And thank you to our guest, Jason. As always, the conversation does not stop here. You can find Jason on Twitter at JasonLaster11. That's J-A-S-O-N-L-A-S-T-E-R-1-1. You can find Adam online at adam l barrett that's a-d-a-m-l-b-a-r-r-e-t-t and i mean they can find you on other networks too right i know you're big on on mastodon and such
2: i'm down uh, i'm done with the x the x is done but i'm still there but i don't
0: <laughs> want to be yeah you've quitted as much as the rest of us have indeed mm-hmm. uh, you can find me online at robocell as for the podcast you can find us online at modern or on twitter at modern.web and as we close out I'd like to thank our sponsor one last time this who would like me to remind you that you can approach your most pressing tech challenges with confidence, leveraging this dot's tailored development strategies. Trusted by industry giants like Meta, Google, and T Mobile, they specialize in bridging business and technology gaps, modernizing legacy systems, and ensuring sustainable application architecture. Discover how this dot labs can empower your organization at this One last time, that's T H I S D O T dot C O. Thanks everybody. Come on. Come on in.
1: This podcast is sponsored by this dot labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this dot dot co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot
0: C-O slash labs.
2: Shout it, query. Yeah! We know show for you